0: Welcome to another episode of the Unmasked History of Scooby-Doo, the podcast where we delve into the mystery of Scooby-Doo media, getting clues from people who helped bring our favorite mystery-solving dog to life on various platforms, and maybe eating some Scooby snacks along the way. I'm your host, Alexa Lawler. Scooby-Doo, where are you? And it would have been mine if it hadn't been for those meddling kids. gang. Just been
1: handed our next mystery. Blasted meddling kids. Good go go! <laughs>
0: <laughs> on this week's episode, I spoke with Chris Battle, who came in on the 2014 direct to video film Scooby Doo Frank and Creepy, to redesign the gang for the opening title sequence of the film. The opening for Frank and Creepy is one of my personal favorites, and it was great to chat to Chris about his process on redesigning the characters. Let's get into the interview. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Hey, how you doing? Good. Thanks for being on the show today.
1: Yeah, happy to join you.
0: I typically start with a quick three question trivia game if you're up for it. Uh, okay. So, question one try and start off with an easy one here. Uh, what's the name of the van that the gang drives around in?
1: The Mystery Machine.
0: That is correct. Thank God. <laughs> question two true or false? At one point in development, the title of Scooby Doo Where Are You was Who's Sister Scared?
1: Mmm think that might be right
0: it is true
1: <laughs> right doing okay
0: and last question for the trivia uh how many scooby-doo television series have an overarching plot
1: i think that's just one mystery incorporated
0: that is correct as well nice <laughs> and so to start off the general questions uh what's your relationship to scooby-doo did you grow up watching
1: uh, definitely, definitely. As as a kid who grew up in the 70s and the 80s, Scooby-Doo was a, was a big part of that, along with uh, all the other Hanna-Barbera cartoons, but I definitely grew up as a young child watching the original um, Scooby-Doo, uh, and then, of course, uh, got to see all the other versions, like when they started having the celebrity guest stars like Sonny and Cher and uh, Don Knotts and Batman, and even uh, up to uh, the old Scrappy-Doo episodes in the 80s there, for sure, so... Yeah, we, we go way back.
0: And do you have a favorite Scooby-Doo-related memory, whether that's from watching or some other memory? Uh,
1: you, you know, I just really remember um, uh, a lot of uh, watching a lot of the episodes uh, while either at the kitchen table or on the living room floor and just with like a pad of paper and actually trying my best to draw Scooby-Doo while watching the cartoon. And given the fact that I did wind up drawing cartoons and occasionally doing Scooby Doo, uh, that's that's a pretty cool memory.
0: Definitely. And how did you come to work in animation?
1: Uh, well, uh, growing up in Los Angeles, uh, it, it's it's a pretty unique place to grow up because uh, instead of it being some kind of far fetched dream you know, uh, wanting to work in entertainment, whether it's music or acting or special effects or whatever, uh, it's not seen as something ridiculous. It's like an actual career choice. And you often will uh, know somebody who maybe works in entertainment. So uh, I grew up just always wanting to do cartoons, maybe comic books or comic strips or animation. Just I just wanted to draw funny pictures for a living. So my parents would always take me, Whenever I got a chance to uh, meet animators, whenever they were like maybe releasing a book or had an art show, or I even got to like tour Disney animation studios uh, when I was a kid. Uh, but the way that I really actually finally got into it, uh, after I had graduated high school, uh, class of 89, this is right to before the big wave of animation was taking off. You know, I think uh, The Simpsons had maybe uh, they had just started their series. Uh, Maybe Beauty and the Beast was coming out. Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit had already come out. Uh, I I just needed a job. So I uh, went uh, I started working at the Hanna-Barbera retail store. Uh, There were just a very few of these shops in local malls where it was just like a lot of the Disney stores you see now, but it was all Hanna-Barbera themed. They had uh, Flintstone rocks and Jetson spaceship stuff and all kind of merchandise you'd ever want with cartoons playing in rotation. And it was actually run by Hanna-Barbera Studios. So as part of being employees, they wanted us all to take a tour of the studios so that everybody would know how cartoons are made. Of course, I was already way ahead of them on that, but I was very happy to go there and meet all the artists. And uh, the artists from the studio would often come by the store to buy all the merchandise. And our manager said you, uh, when they show you that employee card for their discount, make sure next time they come in, you give them extra special attention. Is there the reason that we have our jobs here? You know, uh, so I got to know the head of design uh, there at the time, Scott Gerald. Uh, your your audience might be familiar with him because he came up with uh, a pup called Scooby Doo, and he was a producer on a lot of the later movies as well. Uh, and uh, my my manager just, uh, just dared me to show my work to him, and I, I did not want to, but uh, my manager just told Scott, "This this guy draws cartoons too." and Scott said, well, why don't you show me some of your work? And I, I sheepishly showed him a few of my little doodles that I've been doing. And he said, Those, these are pretty good. If you have more finished artwork, why don't you come over to the studio sometime, come visit me and show me like your portfolio, which, uh, which I eventually did. And, and he, he was pretty impressed with it. Cause I didn't really have any professional training or, or I didn't go to art school, but he just said, why don't you keep in touch? Maybe, you know, maybe something might happen. We might need an extra hand or something. And, uh, a few, like about a year later, uh, he called me up. He had uh, left uh, Hanna-Barbera and uh, was heading up the new uh, MGM animation. They were working on a new Pink Panther cartoon at the time, along with plenty of other uh, Hanna-Barbera artists. And he said, would you like to come in and start drawing, uh, doing design for a living? And that, that was my beginning.
0: That's very cool. I had no idea that those retail stores existed.
1: Yeah, they, they didn't last long. I think that was only about two or three years. Uh, there were two here in Southern California, and there was one in Florida at Universal Studios where they had a, a big uh, simulator thrill ride, kind of like a Back to the Future ride. Um, it was, I think it was called the Fantastic World of Hanna-Barbera. And then when uh, Turner Broadcasting bought Hanna-Barbera, uh, they, they, they just slashed all the, the retail stores because there weren't a lot of them at the time. So it was very short-lived, but it was kind of cool.
0: Okay, very cool. Um, And do you remember a specific moment that kind of sparked your interest in going into character design? Or had you just always had an interest in it?
1: Uh, Wow, I always did. Yeah. I mean, you know, everybody will always remember there's that time where as a kid, uh, you used to love drawing. And uh, I never grew out of that. I mean, that that was my one thing. You know, sometimes all kids have a thing, you're good at sports, or you can do this, you can do that. My My thing was always drawing. And I really loved it. My parents uh, encouraged it, so as a child, I knew that that was a job that people had. I I I do remember uh, when I was like maybe five or six, uh, we went to Disneyland, and I think one of the little souvenirs my parents bought me was a little flip book, and it was of Donald Duck um, trying to hit a baseball, and instead the baseball like hits him in the face or something like that. But you you know just flip through it, and I learned from an early age that cartoons are made up of people's drawings and that there are really people who draw them and that's their job. So I always knew that that could be a possibility. And I always thought maybe I could uh, be the next Charles Schultz or, uh, or maybe I could uh, draw Spider-Man for a living or something. But as I got older, I realized that I liked doing the funny stuff and like drawing real uh, superhero stuff, drawing real people realistically was very hard and cartooning was a lot more fun. Uh, and I, I just really kind of started working towards that, but I, uh, I really kind of got into it by accident because I thought you had to be a, an animator, you know, drawing, you know, all those 24 frames a second. Uh, but then as Scott Gerald said, told me when I met him, he said, no, we don't do that for television. They do that all uh, overseas in Korea. All you really need to do is to be able to draw well. And, uh, that, that was my end luckily.
0: How did you come to work on Scooby-Doo, Frank and Creepy?
1: Well, um, th- that came after like many years in the business because uh, I, I, I have been very fortunate. I've been working steadily for probably over, over 25 years now in the business. And uh, at the time that project came up, I was working at Warner Brothers Animation on Teen Titans Go. And uh, you know they're always making new Scooby series and also new Scooby uh, Digital movies, either either for for um, you know DVD, Blu-ray, or now digital streaming, and uh, it turned out a, a friend of mine from from my Cartoon Network days, Paul McAvoy, he was the producer on uh, Frank and, Creepy. and what they often do with a lot of the movies, the movies will kind of have more of a traditional style, uh, to the classic Scooby-Doo, but always they try to do something different for all of the main title credits, and so. They contacted me because uh, they knew I was right there on the other end of the lot, and they just said we're thinking of doing something really kind of graphic and stylized uh, for the opening titles. You know, something like you know Samurai Jack, which I worked on, or, or Dexter's Laboratory. So they said, Could you?" Uh, you know, they they gave me a little animatic of what they needed, with a bunch of mysterious shadowy figures, and then the Scooby Gang running around throughout this backdrop of all these all these uh, spooky characters and all that. So this is just do some stylized versions of the characters and they're probably going to be all in silhouette getting chased uh, by the Frank and creepy characters. So that, that's what I did.
0: And what was your first reaction when you were asked to do it?
1: Oh, well, I was like, you know, it's, it's another job. It's like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. Uh, actually quite often in animation, you'll have like a short break, like maybe you'll have one or two months off between seasons of a show and sometimes you might just take that time off to relax or other times, uh, people will call you up and have some projects uh, for you to work on, especially within the studio. Cause I know they only have you maybe for a limited time, uh, before the next season starts up. So I, I had just been enjoying my time off and it was probably the last week before I was going to return to a new season of Teen Titans Go. So it's like, okay, I was getting ready to work anyways. Uh, why not? And, uh, it's funny you kind of don't really think about it at the time, it's just not the job yet to get it done, but some somewhere in there you you kind of realize, huh, I'm actually drawing one of these classic characters that I watched as a kid or that I used to draw on you know on on the pad on the living room floor. so it it was kind of cool getting to do that and um but well, and then also you realize how challenging some of those classic designs are because there's a reason they're classics. They're so well designed. I mean, the, the Iwa Takamoto design of Scooby is an absolute classic. You really can't mess with that too much. Uh, there's nothing that needs to be fixed. So trying to do something slightly different is, uh, is a bit daunting.
0: What part of production were you brought in on? Did you get to see kind of what the movie was about or any clips from it before getting to work on your redesign?
1: Uh no, it was it was really just for that opening title sequence. So uh it was just a short animatic, which is kind of a, a rough animated storyboard that that they'll do for sequences. And so it was really just for the title sequence. Uh just so they and they gave me a list of what they needed, you know, just like Mystery Man on the phone, number one, uh, you know, uh, mis- mystery man uh in the doorway, kind of stuff. And then there was the Scooby Gang being chased by the Franken Creepy. And um I think I think I might have at least had a design of, of Frank and Creepy uh, to work from, but since it was all going to be in silhouettes, uh, I didn't really need that much detail. And no, I had no idea what the storyline was going to be. Uh, all I needed to know was that he's he's the monster of the week, and he's chasing them.
0: Okay, and what is it like when you're coming into a project like that on freelance? Uh,
1: well, well, it's always kind of interesting to kind of dip your toe in uh, in another project like that, because uh, sometimes when you are busy. On, uh, on another project that's full time, you, you don't have time to, to do everything. And uh, you often can't commit to a big job like that. But if somebody just says, hey, here's a little side project j- just for fun, well, you know, you wanna try designing this classic character or something like that. that, that that's always a lot of, a lot of great fun to, to try that. And it's not like your regular job where you gotta be worried that a whole series is uh, depending on your designs. Uh, there's not much pressure in it. So you can kind of relax and have fun especially in that one where they gave me a very specific style to hit, They wanted that graphic look. It's not like they're just like invent a new Scooby-Doo we've never seen before that we could base a whole series off of. They're like, nope, just the title sequence. Do that thing you do. Have have some fun with it. So it, it was pretty easy in that regard.
0: What is it like to work on a project when you're kind of working on it by yourself and you're not necessarily in a room with the rest of the crew?
1: Uh, you, you know, it's very easy to focus on it because uh, I do that quite often. So most most of the time I am in a studio working with a whole crew for over a year or more, depending on how many seasons you have. But every once in a while, I, I will do uh, freelance projects, some of them even remotely for other studios that aren't in town. So um, it, it, it can be easy to remain focused on that. It it can be a little difficult when you're trying to uh, do a whole bunch of different styles if they don't really have an idea of what they're looking for, when they just ask you to, you know, do three or four different new versions of this classic character. That can be a little little nerve-wracking at first, but once they they respond to it and maybe say, we like that one, use the head from the other one, or go in this direction, it's pretty good, you know, and and especially if you're doing classic characters, because we all know who Scooby-Doo is. That's uh, that's easy to get into doing that.
0: And what was it like to, you know, try and recreate Scooby-Doo in that type of Samurai Jack style?
1: Uh, it, it was very easy because, uh, for, uh, probably about seven years I worked with Genndy Tartakovsky and Craig McCracken on shows like Dexter's Laboratory, Powerpuff Girls, and Samurai Jack. So, so much of that style is ingrained, uh, on my own personal style. It's very natural to go to, uh, and really, since uh, the characters are really are iconic at this point, we all know that what, what kind of clothes they're going to be wearing. And since it's the classic ones, you are like, give Fred that ascot. You know, give uh, give Shaggy uh, the, the flared pants. You know, I wasn't having to modernize them or anything like that. So it, it was quite easy to do, you know. And, and also it's uh, part of the style uh, that we had on like Samurai Jack. It's all about simplification and very strong shapes. So you really don't have to get into all the uh, knobbly detail of, of the characters. Like like Scooby is a very difficult character to draw if you're drawing the classic one because of his body and his knobby legs and everything. But when you're simplifying it to get to a more graphic style, it makes it a little bit easier because he is hard to draw if you're doing a classic one.
0: <laughs> and was there anything in particular that you wanted to accomplish with your redesign?
1: Uh, basically, I was really kind of just trying to have some fun with it because whenever anybody gives you a classic character to do, uh, you would like to have a little bit of fun. And sometimes, if it's going to be for some like major redo, that can it, it can be nerve wracking. Like I said, but for this, it was it was just for the title sequence. Uh, so really, they, they just laid it out like just what they wanted. They just wanted something graphic and modern, and it was just going to be for that quick sequence. So I just thought, well. I'm gonna have fun with this because I'm drawing the Scooby Gangs. Kind of cool, uh, you know. You you try to have as much fun as you can have drawing cartoons for a living, even though it's a job. We all got into this because we love cartoons. They make us happy, um, and I think that when you're having fun with something, it translates into the final product.
0: And what was it like to also create those other characters, like the you know Mystery Man with the phone and the other ones?
1: Well, well, well there, there wasn't too much, uh, to that. It was, uh, I, I tried to keep them close to the storyboard and just to create an interesting silhouette and, uh, try to communicate what was going on. Like whether somebody was on a phone, but you don't have like all the line work and everything on the fingers on the phone to show what's going on. Um, much of good design comes with communicating something with a precious few shapes and, uh, you know um, when speaking about silhouettes uh, the silhouette of a character is something that we discuss even when designing characters that aren't in shadows like when you uh, look at like take for example mickey mouse if you if you saw a silhouette of mickey mouse you know that's mickey mouse if you saw batman and silhouette you know that's batman so uh, it's very clear to the audience they you know what what this character is so it, it really leaned back into those classic design principles that we use uh so in a way it, it was kind of easy to uh do somebody and not have to worry about all their details like what their hairstyle is or what their clothes are they were just in silhouette so
0: and speaking of the silhouette what is the process when it comes to designing you know the basic silhouette for animation
1: well, well you're just trying to create something that uh communicates something very quickly uh and visually uh because if if you look at a shape of a character um you, you just want to be able to tell a lot more about that character. Like if it's a character you've never seen before, the way they're standing, or if, if they're skinny or if, or if they're large, are they threatening? Are they friendly? Things like that. Um, can you tell what they're doing? Do they have their hand on their hip or, uh, are they pointing at something? You, you want that to be able to read to the audience. Now what helps is when it's classic characters like Scooby-Doo, We, we know who Scooby-Doo is. He's, he's got that big thick neck and the pointy ears and those skinny legs and the big soft padded feet. So as soon as you get him in a silhouette where people know that that's Scooby-Doo, well, then you draw the skinny guy with, with with the scruffy hair and the uh, flared pants, and we know that's shaggy. And so you kind of go on down the line with the other characters, as long as you draw this fit guy, and maybe you could uh, tell from his hair, or if you can see that the ascot is there, you, you know that that's Fred and uh, you know just go on down the character line and pretty soon you could tell even standing there in the dark that that's a Scooby gang
0: you mentioned that you had drawn um like a non silhouette version just for reference uh, what kinds of details maybe dissipate when it goes to just the silhouette
1: Hmm. Uh, definitely a lot of all of the uh, clothing, like wrinkles and things like that, like, you know, when you picture Shaggy, he's, he's got a lot of loose fitting clothing, you don't need to have that much stuff. And especially with Scooby, because Scooby is the most complicated, his classic design, he's got those really bony legs, and then there's real like dog uh, a- anatomy that's at work in there. Uh, so that that is really challenging when you're drawing it real. But since we're doing it in a simplified form, I didn't have to have all that real anatomy, which, again, goes back to me deciding as a child not to have to learn to draw real, but to draw cartoons instead, because real anatomy is hard.
0: (laughs) Um, And in your opinion, what uh, contributes to a successful silhouette in animation? Uh,
1: Well, like like I said, if somebody can just see it right away, uh, especially if it's in the dark, uh, that they they can tell... Who that character is, or if it's a, even if they're not in the dark, but it's a complicated action scene where somebody's doing some kind of crazy martial arts move or a superhero pose, if it really sells the action and and, and uh, it, it really has an impact, people can look at that scene and go, "Ooh, wow! Look at that cool freeze frame of of them kicking that guy and they're flying through a window or something like that." That, as long as it has an impact with the audience, you know you've succeeded.
0: And what was it like to uh, work on a Scooby-Doo project specifically?
1: Well, that's another one of those things where uh, you realize after you've done it that you just uh, worked on something you watched as a kid, and and you've kind of fulfilled this whole cycle of people who are inspired by uh, a given film or music or whatever, and now you're a part of the history Of that project and maybe there's a kid watching now that's going to be their favorite thing and they're going to get inspired to become an artist too uh it's kind of a cool thing about working on those legacy projects it's uh, you you become part of something that's much larger than you and you're actually sort of maybe part of the history of it you know
0: and what was it like to contribute to like a redesign of the iconic characters rather than just uh you know drawing the typical classic designs over again
1: well that that is always the fun part uh, as i've i've had a chance to redesign uh, several classic characters sometimes for just development in house that never sees the light of day sometimes for things that make it into actual production but uh, you, you know you you as an artist you want to be able to put your own stamp on things because sometimes you may look at something uh, be it a design or, or if you like movies you could you could watch, watch a movie and see how the story goes or if you hear a song played you think that ah, I have my own ideas about how they should do this song. I mean, uh, as a creative, you always have those ideas. And sometimes rarely do you ever get to put them into practice. But w- with this, it's always, it's always fun when they ask you to put your spin on it. Because so often part of animation is you have to adapt to a show style. And usually that's the creator of a show or the art director. They, they've set the tone. And it is part of your talent and skill set that you have to draw like them, and adapt like them. But when somebody comes to you and wants your particular spin on it, well, that's, that's just real bonus. That's, that's a lot of fun when somebody asks you to do especially something that is so famous and iconic as Scooby-Doo.
0: What's your favorite part of being able to see your versions of classic characters in productions?
1: Probably one of my favorite parts, it's definitely one of, the, one of my favorite things about animation as an art form uh, as a whole, is that it's not just you uh, who does it all. It's, it's a huge group effort because I'll do the drawing, but then uh, you know, storyboard artists will create the scene uh, and uh, they'll, you'll have cleanup artists who make our rough artwork look all pretty. Uh, color designers will choose the colors for them, and there's then it'll go on top of the background and the environment. so like you know, you have people who draw those, then people who paint them. We have sound effects, we have great voiceover artists, all these people who put together all these little pieces of this giant uh, machine, and it becomes a cartoon and that's that's just the magic that we all uh, fell in love with as kids. And to know that you played a part in that along with that, all of these other people, we're all making each other's work look better. Uh, that, that's the real magic that comes in for me, for sure.
0: And are there any challenges when you step into a project where you're working with iconic characters?
1: Well, uh, normally it's, it's just the whole thing of uh, if they're really going with your designs and, and uh, it's, it's not just development or something like that. When they're actively going into productions, that, that can be nerve-wracking if, if you haven't figured out very specifically what you want to do. But uh, luckily, there's some projects I've been on where where they, you know, I, I figured out how I wanted to do it, and the studio gave me all the support. Or, in the instance of Scooby here, it was just for that one sequence, and they were very uh, direct on the guideline. They just said, "Just you, just do your thing. We love that drawing. Go that Samurai Jack style," and and that's it. So that that was just nice on that one. That uh, no no worries on that.
0: And I wanted to chat a little bit more uh, about what it's like to work on a redesign for characters that you had grown up watching, like a little bit for Scooby, but also on your work on that uh, Flintstones series that's coming up.
1: Mm-mm. Yeah, actually, it uh, it already uh, premiered in, uh, in the UK, on Boomerang UK, and a couple other overseas markets. I don't know if there's any plans for it domestically. Okay. But, um, yeah, and, and that was one that had a long development process, like back in 2016, that was... Uh, I was one of several artists that uh, they had who they had already been taking a stab at trying to do a new Flintstones thing centered on the kids. And uh, I, I did a bunch of development. It almost went to pilot. and They said, ah, we're not going to, we decided not to do that. We're going to try to rework it. And I thought, okay, that's fine. If, you know, there was another thing I did on break uh, between seasons of Teen Titans Go. And then um, in the fall of 2017, uh, on, on another break between seasons, they called me up and they said, we circled back around to your designs and we want you to do them. And we know we only have you for a month or two so can you just design the whole show for us and we'll just take you for as long as we have uh and and that sort of thing is just uh, pretty exciting when when you really get uh handed the reins for that and 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 it's nice like i said when they say you do your thing uh we we like that just keep going with that when you have definite uh, ideas um, and, and especially uh, when doing these legacy projects, sometimes there's so much that has been done before you can, it's very easy to cherry pick what you like and what you don't like, you know, you, you can go back to the original designs, you can skip over maybe those ones from the intermittent years. And maybe there was a more recent one that also you kind of uh, can pick from. So, um, if, if you really have a feel for it, or you really have definite ideas, it, it can be a lot of fun.
0: Does growing up watching a series make you more particular or possessive over the original?
1: I tend to never be very uh, possessive over things. Um, you know, I, I know there are certain people who can be like very traditional, and some people who are like super deconstructionist uh, about uh, classic things. Uh, I, I I kind of fall somewhere in the middle, but I do lean more towards a deconstruction because um, you, you know we all grow up with things that we love. And uh, as the years go on, we could uh, probably look at newer, uh, we, could, we could look at it with fresh eyes, you know, be it uh, an old movie or a comic book series or music. And, and you could still love what you love about it, but you can probably acknowledge what needs fixing. And I, personally, I'm always up for new takes on classic materials, uh, wh- whether it's movies or, or television shows or new reboots. If they're done well and, and they're done with a real creative flair, uh, I really like to see something new, but uh, at the same time, I, I know what what I like about a classic thing. So I think often that's what some of the uh, studios like about my work uh, is that, especially from a business standpoint, whenever they announce a new show, you know, everybody already gets upset that they're going to screw up something that, that they love. But then uh, if they know that the creators of the new version actually have a love for the old version, when that's apparent. Uh, that, that seems to work out well. So um, my area that I work in is that I am always familiar with a lot of the classic stuff, and I will always have a nod to that, but I I don't hold it so tightly uh, that that and, and precious about it that it can't change from, like, the 1960s version of whatever the, the title is. So I, I guess that's my little sweet spot that I work in there.
0: And with Scooby-Doo especially, but also with a lot of other older cartoons, a lot of the fans are you know, particularly um, protective of the original and what that show meant to them. Uh, what is it like to kind of step into a show where you may be uh, critiqued quite a bit by the fans?
1: Well, well, that it always goes without saying that you can never please everybody. And, and that, as we've seen time and again with new things, that uh, initially everybody will be mad. Uh, sometimes you hope that, uh, maybe, uh, after something comes out and people watch something that they, that, that they might enjoy it. Or, uh, e- even if they say, I like that old one better, but I can see there's some things I like for this. And, and, and sometimes, you know, projects, projects are for different audiences. Uh, if you see somebody getting upset over, uh, like one of the, uh, DC animated movies that were like PG-13 rated R kind of things for adult comics fans, somebody says, my six-year-old watched this and she got really upset when Wonder Woman decapitated that that demon or like, well, sorry, it, it wasn't for children. This is, this is for adults, uh, you know, and likewise, some series are for little children uh, and, and they're not, they're not for, uh, you know, older kids or necessarily for 33 year olds. But, but really, uh, I think it's a testament though, to how beloved certain franchises are. So, Sometimes you will try to do your best to honor an old show, but you hope that uh, people can enjoy a new version. And and also these days, you definitely know that another version, another reboot is really just a few years down the road. So if somebody doesn't like this one, they, they can like the next one, you know. So, um, yeah, definitely don't take it personal at all because in the end, it is just a job. And, um, you know, hopefully it'll be a job that you can really uh, put your heart into in some way or another. So. You know, it's it's not too it's not too rough if if people don't respond well because hopefully, you know somebody will like it.
0: When it comes to Scooby specifically, why do you think that the franchise has held up for over fifty years now?
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, uh, everybody loves dogs. That, that that's a major thing. Everybody loves them. Even even if a kid can't have a dog, they can dream about having a dog. Would be as much fun as Scooby Doo. And, uh, and who doesn't love, uh, like a good safe, scary mystery thing, you know, uh, because you know, even when you're a little kid, you like monsters, you don't necessarily, uh, like, like a full on horror movie, but, but every kid likes, like spooky monsters, uh, to a certain degree. And, you know, especially going back to the original series, those are some of the best fun, spooky monsters uh, you can imagine. And, uh, it's like a lot of other, uh, things that everybody falls in love with, like, well, you know, something that name drops them directly, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, is the perfect intersection of uh, comedy with spooky horror stuff. And of course, they, as they all call them, the Scoobies, uh, for a reason. You know, I think that mix just works great.
0: And if you were given the opportunity to design a villain or a monster for a Scooby Doo project, what would it look like?
1: Huh. Wow. That's, uh, that, that is a tough one. I, I, I think going back to what I just said, if I could hit that intersection of, of spooky with comedy, uh, that that would probably be pretty good. It, it would definitely have to, have to be something, something big that, that would seem threatening, but also uh, goofy big as well.
0: And if you were given the opportunity to work on another Scooby-Doo project, would you, if you had the time, would you uh, take it?
1: that That might be fun to actually actually do that, yeah, because I like uh, I, I, I just dip my toe a little bit in in the Scooby sandbox, uh, and it would be would be fun to really take a deeper dive on that for sure. Yeah.
0: I think that covers all of the questions that I had for you. Is there anything else that you wanted to add at all about Scooby or anything else that you've been working on?
1: Uh, no, just, uh, if, if people want to see more of my work, um, uh, they, they can check me out on at Chris battle art on Instagram, Tumblr and Twitter. And, uh, really, if you just Google my name, you're gonna, you're gonna find a lot of my artwork out there.
0: Perfect. And do you have any upcoming shows that you want to promote at all?
1: Uh, well, uh, nothing, nothing at the moment, at least nothing that I could, that I can announce. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. So, so many things are always a, a bit secret. Uh, at the time. So unfortunately I can't mention everything.
0: Well, yeah, I think that covers everything. Thanks so much for uh, chatting with me today, Chris.
1: Happy happy to come on by.
0: And that concludes today's episode. A huge thank you again to Chris Battle for taking the time out to be on the show. For more groovy content, be sure to check at Unmasked SD on Twitter at Unmasked SD podcast on Instagram or at unmaskedsdpodcast.com. If you like this episode and want to hear more, also make sure to check those social media channels or the website, or you can listen to older episodes wherever you like to get your podcast fix. And if you want to follow Chris, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at ChrisBattleArt. Thanks for listening, and keep an ear out for the next episode. Scooby-dooby-doo!